Hi, welcome to Curious Sisters. My name is Kat. My name is Nastya, and welcome to our first season where we talk about all things Slavic. Kat, what is our warm-up question today? So, today I decided to be a little different again with the questions. Um, I studied like a bunch of questions that I thought I could ask you and I didn't like any of them. So, I thought of my own and it involves your cats. Ooh, okay. Love my cats. I'll talk about them any day, all day. <laughs> That's what I figured. So I was wondering, well, Larry and I were having a conversation about this kind of, about our cat, but I was wondering if you could decipher what your cat is thinking, what do you think your cats would think about you and what would they tell people about you? Like <laughs> what kind of cat parent do you think your cats think you are? I think they would be pretty nice and happy. Yeah. I like to think that they're nice. I mean, honestly, both James and I say that they are the nicest cats we've both ever had. Definitely Maeve would be more outgoing and social. She would just talk to anyone. Okay. I mean, she she does talk to everyone anyway in her own language. So whenever people come over or if we have a neighbor, like if I have her out and the neighbor comes over, she will just scream at them. And then Sweeney is, he probably wouldn't say anything. He, he's not the antisocial one. But so if I were to interview your cats about you, what would they tell me about you? Like, do they have any complaints about you? Or are they like, oh, these are the nicest people? They probably would say not enough wet food. We <laughs> want wet food all day, every day. More pets? Mm. I think they're pretty... I think they're pretty happy. They get enough attention here. I think Sweeney would say something bad about James because James <laughs> picks at him all the time because Sweeney is uh, very playful and sometimes he's playful at 3 a.m. and it's hard for us to sleep and I'm pretty good at sleeping so I'll sleep through anything but James struggles with that so he picks at him so I think Sweeney would say something mean. <laughs> Well, yeah, Swinney Swinney's pretty shy, so maybe like at night he comes out of his shell. I, I don't know, I feel like um, maybe it's also a stage. I remember that when Demok was younger, young buck, he used to do that too all the time at night. Like in the middle of the night, he would climb under the bed, lay on his back and like try to scoot around, clawing the, the bed and you would hear it and like, what is going on? It's 3 a.m. Like he doesn't do it anymore. So hopefully he'll outgrow it soon. We'll see, but he's definitely my cat, so he would probably say how much he loves me, because he's always cuddling with me. <laughs> so he's mama's boy. What about Demok? Do you think he would say nice things about you? I would hope so, yeah. I was uh, thinking, like, he probably would say mostly nice things, but one of the complaints that I thought of was also involving food, like we give him this special kidney food. A couple times a day and he absolutely hates it he would be like this is torture i need my regular food <laughs> tell tell him to feed me better he definitely would ask to go out for walks more often because he likes to go oh, out yeah. and for sure Maeve would complain about that i'm sure because sometimes she'll just stand by the door and scream yep but i also noticed like lately ever since covid <laughs> i feel like since we stay home more often it almost feels like he wants more attention, like more than ever. We used to live him by, by himself all the time. They go to work. 
And now we hear all the time, and the more we give attention, the more he wants. It's like crazy. Uh, he's probably just happy to have you guys around and interact with you more. Maybe he's also getting old and, and soft. Maybe. So, I don't know. I just thought it was fun to like pretend like you know what your cat is thinking about <laughs> you or saying about you. Yes, it is fun. I, I would also think Demok would complain about the baths. Oh my gosh. That you have to occasionally give it, give him. We did have to give him yet another bath last week. Oh boy. Which he absolutely hated. His fur feels really nice and soft afterwards, but the process <laughs> is just not that fun. Is it usually just one of you doing that or is it both of you teaming up on him? You have to team up on him and like try to calm him down while it's it's happening. Lately, he's not as... Um, I guess feisty about it. He kind of surrenders to his fate once he's in the tub. But yeah, it usually takes two people to do that. He's probably used like getting used to it if you do it more often. So hopefully, it's less traumatic for him. Yep. So what what do you have for us today? Have you ever heard of a term bone music or music on the ribs? Mm, I don't think so. So I have. An interesting story for you today, then. But let me paint you a picture first. Imagine living in a world where music is illegal, where simply owning a Beatles record could get you arrested and sent into the wilderness to die. Imagine knowing that and still buying those records, sharing them with your friends, and spending hours upon hours figuring out how to make your own. Welcome to the Soviet Union in 1950s. Okay, I now know what you're talking about, I think. Is this the music on x-rays? Yes, you figured me out right away. Well, at first I was like, uh, does this have anything to do with like playing music on your own ribs? <laughs> I'm like, I definitely <laughs> never heard of that before. <laughs> I haven't either. Different kind of ribs, but... Okay. During the Stalinist era, up to and after World War II, Soviet Russia was a repressive place. The Communist Party was shielding its citizens from threatening Western influences like freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and of course, art, especially music. Stalin understood the power of music and, as a result, chose to ban the possession of all Western music. For decades, the only records that were allowed in Russia had feature music from Russian composers, and due to heavy censorship even within the country, Musicians were expected to cooperate with the composer's union and lyricist's union to create songs. So you can imagine that producing your own songs was remarkably subversive and it actually landed several Soviet musicians in the gulag. Intense. Seriously. Genres from the West such as rock and roll, boogie-woogie and jazz deemed threatening to the political order in the Soviet Union. Especially boogie-woogie. I know, right? So, you know, first they listen to jazz, then they become traitors. Yeah, right. Um, so those genres were strictly banned on public airwaves and also for private listening. You couldn't have this music, even at your in your home. You couldn't listen to it. And there's no Spotify or Apple Music or whatever app you're using. So it was impossible or nearly impossible to find any recordings in the Soviet Union. And if you had any, you didn't want to tell anyone, as you'd be seen as a traitor. Needless to say, the prohibition created even a higher interest and demand 
And this was the time when the Beatles were blowing up. You know, they were changing uh, fashion, culture, society. Everyone was going crazy. And I feel like rock and roll was also a big deal, an important, I guess, change in the music industry. Right. So everyone was, well, most of the world was all about it. And of course, there were people who, in the Soviet Union, who also wanted to be a part of that as well. So people did have records still in the Soviet Union. They were just not Western records, right? They were just, um, I guess, all Russian artists. Yes. Like I said, they approved composers' okay. records. Or you could get uh, records of the patriotic speeches Fun. and listen to them. You know, in your free time, don't you <laughs> want to listen to some speeches? Yep. <laughs> well, as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. And there were actually a couple of ways to listen to the Western music as well. Uh, one of them was the through the Armed Forces Radio. The U.S. was playing jazz into the Soviet Union system, you know, to disrupt things. Because jazz does that, apparently. I was going to say corrupting people with jazz. <laughs> yes. And people would find ways to record broadcasts and then share the recordings. And there were some vinyl albums available, but it was extremely dangerous to get them, and they were very expensive as well. During the same time span between the late 40s and 60s, a youth subculture sprang up that seemed to be custom-made to specifically irritate the government, the Stilagi, or Style Hunters. Have you heard of those guys? Yes. Well... Some say that they were inspired by the post-war return of young soldiers. They had developed a taste for modern trends and foreign influences during their time away from the motherland. And they sported fashionable clothes. They were largely apolitical. And most importantly, they had an appetite for Western music. This reminds me of uh, a movie. There's a movie style, Hunters. Have you ever seen that? I don't think so. Is it a movie or is it a series? There's definitely a, a Russian movie about them. And I remember that they looked exactly like that. Like they would wear bright clothes and they would just get together for these parties with illegal music. Okay, maybe I'm thinking about another movie where they actually... its a Well, it's not a movie, it's a series where they actually did what you were about to describe to us about the music on the bones. They were like making those records. But they were also doing all kind of other things like smuggling jeans into the Soviet Union, you know, criminals. Because <laughs> jeans are also corrupting you. Yep. Anyway, one of these young style hunters, Stanislav Filo, he brought back home more than just ideas from his tour abroad. He returned from the war with a record duplication machine. Bizarrely enough, these duplication machines were totally legal. After all, what was the harm in letting a citizen record a favorite patriotic march or a speech from Comrade Stalin? You know, again, to listen in your free time. I was going to say, like you said, because everybody wants to do that. <laughs> yes. Or allowing someone to send a message back to Babushka in the village. You could find these contraptions all over the place. And a few rubles would buy you the chance to record a short two-minute message and cut a brightly colored audio postcard in minutes. So it's kind of like a an audio message you can now send at any messenger, but way back then. Sounds like fun. 
it's crazy to think how far we have come since then. It was only, what, the 50s? So it's not that long ago, if you think about it. So when he got home to St. Petersburg, then known as Leningrad, Philo set up his machine in the corner of his new photography store and charged tourists and relatives to do just that. So mostly just send the messages. And um, I think it's a good time to take a break and do our word of the episode. (laughs) I thought since we're talking about the messages that you may be sending to your relatives, babushka in the village. Or dedushka. Or dedushka, right. We could do a postcard for our word. So, Kat, how do you say postcard? Um, Atkritka? Yes, atkritka. Yeah, good luck pronouncing that one. It has the <laughs> U letter in it. U noise. Atkritka. I was going to say, E is a sound. <laughs> you know what I meant. Usually I I would think like something similar sounding would be an easy way to remember, but I don't think anything sounds similar to Atkritka. No, not at all. When was the last time you received Atkritka from anybody? I was just thinking about that. It's been a long time. Probably still back in Russia. Really? Like over. Although no, I'm lying. We, we got a bunch of atkritkas when we got married, so some people mailed them to us. There you go. Yeah, I was going to say I don't get them as often anymore, but still, once in a while. Like Christmas cards, sometimes people still send those. Yes, that's true. Um, I, th- I guess I'm also thinking of, you know, like the the old postcards that are just kind of like one you get in a tourist place somewhere where it just has an image right. on one side and then it's just on the back you write something. For some reason, I'm thinking of those. Well, those are atkritkas too. Yes, that's true. Well, there you have it, guys. Soon after... Okay, what's his name again? Stanislav. Philo. <laughs> Philo. Slava. Soon after, soon after Slava, or Stanislav, set up his shop, business was booming. And of course not because of the portraits he was selling during daytime hours, but thanks to the illicit bootlegging operation he ran after dark. The little duplication machine was pressed into service to record low-quality dubs of jazz, boogie-woogie, and rock and roll songs on whatever he had lying around. Mostly he was using coated paper. And remember, this is the time after the war, so all materials were scarce, including vinyl, so you couldn't just get a record and put that on there. So they used whatever they could find at that time. And the records didn't last long, they sounded terrible and were easily worn down by steel gramophone needles, but they were cheap and they were available. And it wasn't long before a small community of music lovers began haunting his shop, snapping up record after record, and two fans in particular, their names are Ruslan Bogoslovsky and Boris Taigin. Those two were there nearly every day. And the reason became clear when the two men 
convened at Bogoslovsky's family dacha one night. And if you haven't listened to our episode about dacha, please go back and do that. Kat, do you remember what number that is? I want to say maybe episode 12? Yes, episode 12. That was a fun one. Anyway, they got together at his dacha and it turned out that Bogoslovsky had been studying Philo's record duplicator, taking careful notes on its measurements and mechanisms, and using his engineer father's tools, was able to build his own replica. And wow. not only did it work, it worked better than Philo's old machine. Impressive. And yeah, they were definitely very creative. Um, the quality of the re records was higher too, thanks to the inventive new materials they used. And like you mentioned, they were x-rays. Somehow, Bogoslovsky got the bright idea to cut records onto discarded x-ray sheets. There is really no way to confirm how, but it's quite possible that one afternoon he was just taken out the trash and found a pile of old medical records and x-rays among them. Turns out that the materials x-rays were made out of were very flammable. So after one year in storage, hospitals had to get rid of them. And yeah. I guess their way of getting rid of them was just, you know, put them in the trash. If it gets caught, gets caught on fire there, then it's fine. Okay. Yeah, I guess it kind of makes sense. The x-rays are made kind of, well, they're kind of like thin vinyl. Very thin vinyl type of, it's flimsy, but... Yeah, and I guess thinking about that now, like once you did an x-ray, you had to store it in the hospital, so it was taking room, it was flammable, so maybe after a while, you know, if you didn't need it anymore, it was safe to get rid of it. Yes. And the material itself turned out to be a great substitute for vinyl. Bogoslovsky would ramage through trash and even pay off orderlies to get supplies for his business. Would ramage their trash as a little raccoon... <laughs> I'm picturing his, him, like, diving into the trash bins looking for those x-rays. And do his raccoon business. And here's how they actually made the records. They carefully cut the x-rays into circles by hand and burn a hole in the middle with a lit cigarette. And the duo cranked out countless bootlegged songs from Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald, The Beatles, and more. They flooded the black market with these cheap records all decorated with skulls, hip bones, femurs, and guts. Nice. <laughs> and the, this morbid representation of the records earned them a variety of colorful code names, including bone music, jazz on bones, my grandma's skeleton, <laughs> music on the ribs, or simply ribs. I never knew that that it, that's what it was called like I definitely heard about records on the x-rays but I never knew there was like a funny name for that I thought it was brilliant because it is really music on bones yeah one of the articles I was reading they even said something among the lines of you know the dead were listening or playing with the <laughs> people who are alive and I yeah. was like hopefully maybe they're not even dead you don't know <laughs> I was going to say, why do they all have to be dead? Maybe it's just somebody broke a rib or an arm or a leg and they're fine now. Because it's been, you know, years. Hopefully. Well, unfortunately for the golden dogs, that's what they do uphold themselves. It also eventually earned them and the attention of the authorities 
who caught them distributing forbidden music in the 1950 and sentenced both of them to five years hard labor in Siberia. Wow. In a stroke of luck for Ruslan and Boris and millions of other Russians, Stalin's death in 1953 brought relief. Thousands of prisoners were granted amnesty and they headed back home. And they were armed with even grander plans when they came back. Uh, so while Bogoslovsky was in Siberia, he didn't have much to do. <laughs> so he figured out a way to separate the layers of the x-rays. And he was able to add beautiful art. So kind of like, I guess, album covers that yeah. were present out in the West. And he created ripped-off Western labels, so now you could get fancier records. Not just bones. Yes. All of that went well for a while, until they got arrested again, and chucked into the gulag again. Jeez. He was released again, Bogoslovsky, and I assume Boris too, but um, I guess he was the head of the operation, because all of the articles mostly mention him. When he was released several years later, he had one last big idea. He was going to press his own vinyl records. He figured out a way to soften the wax on existing albums, and he pressed real black vinyl albums that were immensely popular. At that time, record stores stocked vinyl records containing patriotic speeches from Lenin and Stalin, and they were priced dirt cheap to encourage citizens to buy them. Yeah. So now all of a sudden they were available and Ruslan bought a ton of them, which is ultimately what led to his third and final arrest because no one really bought those. Right. So back to the gulag he went for three more years of forced labor, all because he just wanted to listen to some jazz and share it with the people. By the time he won his freedom, he was returning to a different world. The reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder had arrived, along with the beginning of the government's gradual thaw towards the West. So there was no need for him to continue bootlegging, so I'm not sure what, what he did after that. But all in all, the reign of bones over Soviet music only lasted about 15 years. Some articles say that in those years he made more than a million bootleg records wow. on the film. One person? Well, two, I guess, of them. That's pretty impressive. Yes. And some of them are still out there, from what I hear. Like, you can still find them and even listen to them. They don't sound great at all, but they look cool. That would be cool, I guess, to listen to them. Does it say how much money they made making those? Um, It doesn't, but one of the articles I was reading was saying that at that time, if you could get a vinyl record, it was about five rubles. And compared to that, the x-ray record was only one ruble. Okay. So you can get five of those versus one vinyl record. Yeah. I'm not sure how much people were making at that time. What, what were the years? Was it like 50s or 60s, you said? Yeah, it was the, I guess, started in like 40-something because he was arrested in 1950. I can't imagine that people were making more than like a 100 rubles a month or something like that. Probably way less. I'm just guessing, but... 
Yeah, I was gonna say I would say I would guess maybe like twenty five, fifty yeah. tops. There is a list of the bands that were banned at that time and the reason. Uh, let's see, the Village People. The Village for People. Violence. <laughs> oh come on. <laughs> um, ACDC, also violence, neo-fascism. I mean, okay, ACDC maybe. I, I like but ACDC, the but the village people? <laughs> ACDC can get pretty intense. Pink Floyd interfering the foreign policy of USSR. Mm-hmm. The Beatles? You said the Beatles were banned too. What were they banned for? Mm. Too good looking. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't say... <laughs> <laughs> Too good looking. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Tina Turner, sex. Okay. Interesting. And then again, Ramones. It just says the, re- the reason is punk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not cool to be punk. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was it was fun. What did the village people do? What's the violence? No, I have no idea. Maybe I'm i don't know something about village people <laughs> so those guys were like soviet soviet time well they were kind of like soviet time uh, pirates not like those types of pirates that go in the ocean but <laughs> like pirates <Arr. laughs> not not our pirates but piracy of uh well i know that the music was banned but they still were pirating the records and making money yeah i mean i'm sure I'm sure people would still do it, but I feel like if it was possible to buy that music, a lot of people probably would just buy it legally. Probably, yeah. But since it was not, yeah, that was the only way out. So Agreed. I thought it was fun and I kind of want to go back and rewatch that movie. I think it came out a long time ago because I remember watching it either in high school or college. So it's been a few years. Yeah. Well, thanks. That was fun. Um, like I said, I didn't know that that's what it was called, the uh, music on the bones. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And I'm glad I have this podcast that I could bring it to. Well. And share it with you and with listeners. I'm glad you have this podcast too. <laughs> so you can educate me on some things. And what are you educated us on with the interesting fact of the episode so the interesting fact of the episode has something to do with cats again. No, Maeve, you're in there again. So did you know that cats can be allergic to you too? I think I heard something like that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know this. So every time you go to cuddle your cat, he he or she starts sneezing, almost like he's allergic to you or something. Could it be for real, or are you imagining it? And just to clear. The mark doesn't sneeze around me, so he's not allergic to me. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, according to Dr. Lydia Harbour, a vet, dermatology resident at Dermatology for Animals in Phoenix, cats can be allergic to humans. And why is that? So pets, it makes sense. I mean, now that I read about it, but I just thought it was, I don't know, for some reason it blew my mind. Like, what? Cats can be allergic to people too. But it makes sense. Pets are not the only ones who shed. People shed skin, hair, and other materials throughout the day. Ew. Gross. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And sometimes this dander can cause allergic reaction in cats. So is it is it mostly from your skin, I'm guessing? Because like if you're petting them, it's your hands. 
Yeah, so it's basically like your dead skin cells. Oh, Maeve, I'm so glad you're not allergic to me. Well, luckily, allergies to human dander aren't super common in cats. And a lot of time, if a cat is allergic to human dander, he or she is also allergic to other things like mold and pollen. And these usually cause more symptoms in cats than dander allergy. So usually if you have like a cat that's allergic to something floating in the air, they also might be allergic to you. And the treatment is just like for humans, you just give your cat some allergy pills. But yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was funny. Like we'll, People always talk about being allergic to animals, but nobody ever talks about animals being allergic to people. <laughs> That's true. So there you have it. I'm thinking maybe, like you said, it's not that common. So maybe that's why. But I'm glad our cats are not allergic to us. I would be sad if they suddenly became allergic to me. Yeah, I don't think I ever met a cat that's allergic to a person. But what do I know? They don't say (laughs) if they have allergies. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, thank you. That was interesting. Learn something new every day. Yes. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Give us a review, thumbs up, subscribe, drop us a line, recommend us, or please. S- send us a... No, you can't send us an atkritka. We don't have a P.O. box or anything. You can send us an electronic atkritka. Yes, that works. A virtual one. Or an audio message. We do have that set up. Yes. Until next time. Пока. Пока.